Good morning, everybody. So you don't have to be that awkward in inviting anybody to church, (laughs) but it's just a cute way of just letting you know that, you know, it's a special day when you say to somebody, hey, why don't you come with me to the house of God? Someone just very simply said it to me, and 22 years later, I'm still here, and I never left. (laughs) So you never know. You invite somebody to church, they may just never leave. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm excited to be with you this morning because... I'm bringing you the word, so I just hope that you would just keep me in prayer silently (laughs) as I'm up here. I feel like I haven't done this in forever, and to be up here to bring you the word is a very different capacity than to share um, announcements on a Sunday morning, but nevertheless, um, I do believe that God is going to meet us here in this place. I do want to make mention that there is no Sunday school. Um, For those who might be waiting for that announcement, it's not going to happen because we don't, we are off um, for the summer. But saying that, can I just, can we just take a minute and just pray over the word? Why don't we just bow our heads? Lord, I thank you so much uh, for every life that's present here under the sound of my voice, God. I thank you more that you have a purpose and a plan for those you have gathered here this morning to receive from you. So I pray that um, this bread that we receive from heaven this morning would be the sustenance, Father, for the journey that lies ahead. I thank you for what you've brought us through. I thank you for what you'll bring us through. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, I want to open with a little story, um, a little story this morning. Hope it'll encourage you a little bit. Um, I, I was reminded of this story about a captain Um, who was on a ship that was traveling in a very dangerous part of the sea. And um, the captain yelled out to the crew as he saw the pirate ship in the distance coming. He said, go and bring me my red shirt. So the crew was a little bit confused, but out of respect that the captain was the leader of the ship, they went and they got him the red shirt. So about a few days later, another they saw another pirate ship in the distance. And so the captain yelled out again, crew, get me my red shirt. So as any good follower would do, they went and they got the captain the red shirt. About a few weeks later, the battle had passed. They were resting a little bit. They look out, the captain looks out into the ocean and he notices now that there are 10 pirate ships heading towards him. And he's about to ask for the red shirt. And the crew are wondering, and they say, Captain, why is it that you always asked us to bring you the red shirt? And he said, well, you know, I'm the leader. I'm the captain of the ship, and I knew that there was going to be war, and I knew that it would be bloody, and so I wanted the red shirt to camouflage any blood that I might have spilled because I didn't want it to discourage any of you here on the boat. So they said, okay. And they reminded him, they said, Captain, look, 10 pirate ships out there. So he goes and he turns around and he says, then go get me my brown pants. Ha, 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 ha. Okay, I tried to deliver that the best way I could. All right, why don't don't you just high-five somebody next to you and say, you'll get through this. Listen, 
Leadership ain't easy. So I came here this morning to talk to all the leaders in the house. Who's a leader in the house this morning? Listen, I hope that by me saying that, I didn't discourage you. I hope that some of you have not disqualified yourself from receiving this word this morning because I mentioned the word leader. Because whether you know it or not, you are the captain of your own ship. Whether you know it or not, you might be a mama, you might be a boss at work, you might um, have something that is within your hand that you are responsible for. And if you are responsible for anything, you are a leader. And in this walk with Christ, we aren't called, we are called to be his followers, but we're called to be leaders wherever we go. And I mean that from the smallest of the kids in this room to the oldest of us, to those who are in ministry and have titles and to those who might not. Wherever you are, you've been given the task to lead. And the hardest task, I think, believe it or not, and you could disagree or agree, is learning how to lead yourself. And that is an art that is developed, especially in our walk with God, through disappointments and challenges. Because people will fail us. And when they do, or even if they don't, even on the mountaintops and in the valleys, we have to learn how to lead ourselves. And sometimes we may not have the blueprint in front of us. And sometimes we may say, well, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. But I thank God every day that I have the blueprint called the Bible to get me through those really tough seasons when I just don't have the answers. Because I've experienced that when I don't know where to look to, I can find something of myself or my circumstance in the word. Have you ever found yourself or your circumstance in the word of God? Amen. What a comfort, right? To know that we're not left on this side of heaven to navigate things just within our own understanding. I mean, God forbid. Where would we be without the leading of the Holy Spirit? Where would we be? None of you would be sitting here right now. His Spirit drew you with loving kindness to where you are in your life today. And whether that place looks like it's on the top of a mountain or in the pit of a valley... I want you to know that you are going to get through whatever season you are in, even the good seasons. A lot of us don't talk about the good seasons and getting through those good things because, you know, our lives are just a summation of the hills and the valleys and the plains, right? And sometimes it feels like we've experienced these, these really great mountaintops and who has ever had an answered prayer in the church this morning? Have you ever had an answered prayer? Have you ever had that promise come to pass? Have you ever been so overwhelmed by his goodness that you've been like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened to me. Amen. I don't believe, I can't believe that, like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this grace. I don't deserve this measure of goodness and blessing. I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. And somehow God has just favored me. And I know some of you in here swear that you his favorite, but I just want to let you know this morning that I am actually his favorite. I don't know. I mean, I just, you know, because you know the favor of God will do that to you. It'll make you feel like you're the only one in the earth. <laughs> the only one God has pinpointed to be like, I love her. But I love that we can all share that same feeling in this room. 
because we grow in favor. We grow not just in favor with God. The Bible says that we grow in favor with man and we grow in favor with God. Those two things are essential. They were an essential part of Jesus's journey here on the earth. Let me read to you Matthew 3, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. It says, after his baptism, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, the heavens were open. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy in whom God was well pleased. So here we see Jesus getting baptized by John. For the first time, he leaves his hometown of Nazareth because the Bible only tells us, right? The Bible doesn't tell us everything, but what has been recorded biblically was that Jesus, from the ages of 12 to 30, he really wasn't doing anything ministerial. And so at 12, we saw that he was teaching in the synagogue, that his teaching and his understanding astounded the religious leaders, He was also an obedient child to all the kids in the room, to all the teenagers sitting out there. I'm just saying. From 12 to 30, he was in his hometown. He was being obedient to God. And the Bible says that he was growing in favor with God and man. So Jesus's ministry doesn't really begin until this baptism. And how beautiful and glorious. Imagine Imagine you being baptized. Imagine you guys coming in like September and you're like in the baptismal tank and some kind of glorious light just physically shines on you to show everybody in this room that you've been called by God. You're going to ride that high for a while. You're going to be like, yes, I am the chosen of God. I am anointed. I am powerful. And we have these moments in our walk, right? We have these wonderful mountaintop experiences where the glory of God is just shining all over us because things are going well. But then there are times when things aren't going so well and we don't feel that same kind of glory. And we've made so much progress, right? How many people have made progress in the Lord? And when I say that, what I mean is maybe at one point, you were one way, right? Maybe you were really angry, really bitter, really hardened, really just terrible. And maybe God, you allowed the Holy Spirit to begin to do a work in you. And all of a sudden, this really nice, pleasant person has emerged from you. And you're like, wow, I'm really nice. I remember when I first got saved, I was like, wow, I'm like really a nice person now. Like I was patting myself on the back all day long. Let me tell you, I was like, well, I was really, I was terrible. And so God did this really great work. And then as my walk with God progressed and I put my hand out and my foot out to do ministry, I saw God open a lot of doors for me. Like immediately, like I was 17, I said yes to Jesus and boom, the door flew open. Forget about like inched its way. The door just swung open for ministry and I was just literally thrust to the pulpit with a mic in my hand, sharing my story, encouraging young people. And I loved every minute of it. And as the years went by, 
I would get prophetic words. I mean, forget it. People, I would go to like church meetings and prophets would call me out and be like, you with the whatever color hair your is, color your hair is that week. My hair has been every different color under the sun. I'm blonde now. It's not going to stay. But anyway, I would get called out in church meetings and prophets would tell me in front of crowds, God has called you to change nations. God has anointed you to destroy yokes and break chains. God is going to use you to do something incredible. I've had people weep over me at the altar to be like, what God has for you is so big. It's so big. And I've gloried in these moments. Because these were the moments I needed to sustain me to get to the next season in my life. And they were really great. And it even got to the point where there were some really reputable people in the Christian world, and this was about a decade ago, that approached me to write a book. They flew me out to L.A. I got to share my testimony and do some really cool things. And I was promised that if I wrote this book, that it was going to be picked up by a major Christian um, publication. And I was so excited. And I'm like, wow, God, maybe this is the big thing that everybody was telling me about. And so from this book, it led me into opportunity. And it never got picked up, but it led me into opportunities to do some Christian television shows, some talk shows, some really just cool opportunities that I said to myself, wow, this must be it. This is it. Right? Have you had those moments before? Maybe in your career where you got that promotion and you were like, this is it. This is the pinnacle of my success. It is just smooth sailing from here. Ever feel like your life was just kind of going down the runway, right? And and, and you're like the plane, you're picking up speed, and you're going, you're going, you're going, you're going, you're going. You feel like you're taking lift off, and then all of a sudden you just, your life just comes back down. And you just feel like you're going backwards. And you're like, whoa, 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 God, 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 God. We were going this way. We was going up. We was going to high places. We were going to do big things. What happened? What happened to this liftoff? What happened to the takeoff? Where is my life going? Because all of a sudden, when I thought things were at such a pinnacle of Christian success, and all these promises made by man were given to me, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just began to steer us in a different direction. And I was like, whoa, I feel like I'm going backwards. Why do I feel like every time I take 10 steps forward, I'm taking 30 steps back? That might be you this morning. Maybe you have made a significant amount of progress, whether it is in your, 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 your walk with God, maybe in your finances, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your friendships, maybe in your parenting, maybe even in your workout. And then all of a sudden you just hit a plateau. And you hit that plateau. And I don't know, for those of you, I know I got some friends in here who, who are avid um, um, gym goers and, and work out hard and really understand the art of, you know, keeping the body healthy and strong. And if you know about that life, you know that there are plateaus that you hit. You work and work and work towards a goal, and all of a sudden it just feels like no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, there is no momentum and you can't move forward. Sometimes it can feel like that in ministry. I know all my ministry leaders said amen to that. Sometimes ministry can feel that way. It can feel like it's taking on this big, great, 
tremendous life, and then all of a sudden you see all the glory all over it, and then boom, something happens, and someone leaves the church, or someone's not able to fill that position anymore, or there's a monkey wrench that kind of gets thrown into the mix, and all of a sudden it feels like you took 10 steps back. Well, so I really feel like this is sort of along the lines of what Jesus went through. And when we look at the glory that was shown down on him publicly when he got baptized by John, that was Matthew 3.16. The very next scripture in Matthew 4, we come into the great temptation of Jesus when he's in the wilderness for 40 days fasting because the Bible says he was led into that place. So how do we go from such a big high and such glory to now Jesus is in his most weakened, vulnerable, fleshly state and the devil has come to try to totally deter him from the bigger picture that's up ahead. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew 4. And as you're getting there, I want to remind you of this. There's a scripture in Ecclesiastes that says, the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. I promise you that you will get through this. I promise you that the spirit of God will endow you with the endurance and the perseverance that you are going to need to get through this season into the next portion of your journey. Amen? All right, let's read Matthew chapter 4. The Bible says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Devil, For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. By the way, I'm reading from the NLT version if anybody's wondering. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Notice there's a progression of even physical levels here, okay? So then the third, so then Jesus responds. The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God, verse 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain. Notice there were levels. First he's on the ground. Then he's on top of the temple, and now he's at the peak of the mountain, okay? So there are, there's a progression of the temptation that's happening here. So the devil takes him to the highest peak of a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. He says, I'll give it all to you, he said, if you'll kneel down and worship me. So Jesus says, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must not, you must worship, rather, the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Now, let me be very clear. When we talk about this subject, about the temptation of Christ, please understand that there were two entities at work here. Because in the Greek, the word tempt to tempt has two different meanings. 
One is to lure into sin, which is sort of the obvious and our brain defaults at. Well, why would God lead Jesus into a place to sin? That's because that's, that, that wasn't God's purpose. That was the devil's purpose. God led him into the wilderness, into some translations say the desert, to be tempted. But in the Greek, oftentimes this word, and in Hebrew, will refer to a trial or testing. An opportunity to prove one's character or intent. So sometimes we will be led into a place of a testing of our character in a hard season where it looks like nothing is going our way, where it looks like we've taken 30 steps back. But not so that we could fail. God would never set us up to fail. He would never take us into the wilderness or into a desert so that we would give up. The Holy Spirit is the one that will help you to get through this the same way that the Spirit of God enabled Jesus to get through this temptation. But the devil tried it because the devil knew that his days are numbered. But the devil looked upon Jesus and was like, oh, okay, I got him now. He's like, oh, he's in his flesh. Right? Because the devil's like a roaring lion, seeking He's sniffing around for that flesh. He wants to see how he can devour us if we're in a state of the flesh. So he saw Jesus, so he tried it. So God's intention was not the same as Satan's. But nevertheless, Jesus was being tempted on every different level. He was being tempted to turn stones into bread. He was tempted to take his abilities, his gifting, his skill set. To feed his flesh with. I wonder how many times the enemy will come to you and be like, oh, you ain't got to wait on God for that promotion. Don't worry. You got this. You could work this. You could work this. You know you got giftings. You know you got skill. You know you could just schmooze your way in. You know you could just do something that ain't right to get what it is that you want. You know you got this. And sometimes the temptation to make our own way with the abilities that we've been given by God exist. And sometimes the temptation could look like it did for Jesus in a religious way. Sometimes the enemy could use, even in ministry, the enemy could be like, don't worry so much about the people. Just, you know, just just shine where you are. Just take the accolade. Just, just love the applause. Don't worry about your intimacy with God. Don't worry. You could read the Bible later. You could lead these people. Just show a good face. You don't really have to live a life of integrity. You can compromise. It's fine. Nobody's watching. And you know how many people in the church get to the highest point? That is why we see so many religious leaders within the church fall so hard. Why? Jesus, uh, the Satan said to Jesus, just throw yourself down off of here, right? What he was saying in essence is, what he says to people in high places is lose your fear of God. Because if he would have thrown himself off, right? We have a natural fear in us. If we're standing in a high place, like I'm standing here right now. I know I'm not throwing myself off. 
because I got a fear of heights. And that is a healthy thing that God put in me, okay? Just like we have the fear of God. And when you become born again, you have a fear of God to do the right thing, to live a godly life by the power of the Holy Spirit. But when you begin to compromise that fear of God, and you're willing to say, oh, I'll just try it, but I'll still show up to church. I'll just try it and compromise here and still try to lead these people. I'll just try it and still try to be a light to my family. Just believe the enemy will try to make you believe that nobody will ever know. But that's a lie. And that's a temptation that we have to be like, no. I'm going to live with integrity. I'm going to live out a life that whether anybody's watching me or not, whether there's a spotlight on me or a mic in my hand or not, I'm going to do the right thing as Lord as, as long as the Lord enables me to. Amen. And the last, of course, Satan tries to get Jesus to bow to him on the mountaintop. The mountaintops can be the successes to run after money. And notice how Jesus says to Satan, you will worship the Lord your God only. Because the scripture says that we cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve God and money. We cannot be in a place where we feel things are going backwards and nothing's happening. So I'm going to chase money. So I'm going to chase the dreams, the dreams that I have. Because I want you to know something. I'm not saying that your dreams are not from God. But I'm going to tell you a principle that we have when we live our lives in Christ. When we outside of Christ, we got to chase our dreams. When we are inside of Christ... Our dreams chase us. We don't have to chase down nothing. Opportunity will come your way if you stand in the integrity of what God has called you to do. I will tell you that when I decided to lay down a certain lifestyle and a certain dream that I had, I literally was just, I said to God, I'm going to settle myself in my life. and I'm going to take care of my five babies and I'm going to just live honestly and I am not going to manipulate any circumstance to get myself any sort of monetary gain or social gain or any kind of gain. The Lord would literally lay opportunities before my feet that I'd sit and just be like, how on earth did that happen? I've totally removed myself from what looked like any opportunity to be able to grow in this dream that I had laid down. I would always think I'm so far away from any sort of even situation that could propel me into these things. And yet, I just be faithful. I just be like, I'm going to study the word. I'm going to take care of my kids. I'm going to make dinner. I'm going to read the Bible and teach people and hug people. And then, boom, someone comes my way that's like, hey, you know what? I thought about you the other day. Or you know what? I got this opportunity. Or you know what? Could you do this? for? And it's like, wait, what? What just happened? Because I choose to worship the Lord my God and the Lord my God only. And not to say that I don't have dreams that I want to see come to pass. But what I know and, 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 and what I'm convicted by is that when I've made this progress and it feels like I've taken 10 steps back and it feels like I'm in the wilderness, I know the Holy Spirit sees the potential within me and the great coach of heaven calls out to my potential and he's like, girl, just keep going. Just keep walking the straight and narrow. Just keep running the race because I got a reward for you on the other side of this thing. And it's a reward that I that will be eternal that only I can give to you. See, we can create temporal opportunities. We can create temporal 
ways out of the desert, out of the wilderness. But why settle there? See, the Lord is interested in our character. What he's interested in is training and practice for the promise. He promises you this morning that you're going to get through this because just like Jesus, there was this great temptation. But right after the great temptation was when Jesus began his entire ministry. When miracles were breaking forth right after this great temptation. And yet he submitted and surrendered himself to what looked like the end. But I promise you that it is not over. That dream is not over. I know Pastor Mark preached last week to just hold on. Just hold on because it's not over. Just because, just like that picture, you might feel like there's barrenness all around you. I don't know who in here might feel like I've planted seeds for years and I haven't seen the kind of growth that I've been believing for. I want you to know that you're going to get through this and on the other side of this, as is also told figuratively in the story of Jesus, there's going to be miracles and breakthrough and power on the other side because God is more interested in your character than he is about bringing dreams to pass. He is more interested, and I know that's not like a popular thing to say, because I know I have a feeling that, you know, y'all would just probably prefer me to be like, God said you're going to get that house next week. <laughs> or you're going to be driving that Tesla and the Benz and the whatever other car you're into in like the next month. God's going to prosper your bank account. Like, yeah, he'll do all those things. But that will just be a manifestation of the work that he is doing within you as you surrender and submit yourself to the process of purification. And that happens in our character because he's trying to give, he's trying to work out in you endurance. Endurance is important for the long haul. There's a victory we have in Christ that he wants us to experience. Again, can we seek out our own victories? Can we make ways in our flesh, temporal solutions? Yes, we absolutely can. But why? Why? When what he, the victory that we can have in him is so much greater and he wants to produce an endurance in us. First Corinthians 10, 13 says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. AKA, you are not alone in this. You're not the only one dealing with this feeling of weariness, feeling like things are not going to change, feeling like fruit is never going to come. You are not the only one. First Corinthians 10, 13 says, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than what you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. His purpose in the midst of what you're going through is to build endurance in you. But he doesn't stop there because he also wants to build perseverance on the inside of you. Perseverance is a little bit different than endurance. Perseverance is the ability to keep moving towards a goal and overcoming setbacks, disappointments, and hurdles. 
It's the ability to keep moving in the face of adversity. I'll never forget when my husband was in the hospital. Where's Robert? Where's Robert? Maybe he just walked out for a second. There he is. There's my man right in the back. That's my brother. That is my brother from another mother. Let me tell you about Robert. Let me tell you what you don't know about this man. Let me tell you, this man got a prophetic gift. I know y'all didn't know. They're all coming to you for a prophetic word after service. I'm just going to let you know right now. But when my husband was in the hospital and he had his pulmonary embolism, um, I remember uh, he was visiting with some other folks and we were standing by the elevator and he came over to me and he's like, you know, how are you doing? And he starts talking to me and, you know, I'm just being really honest with him. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not good. Like, I just, this is really scary. Like, I, you know. And so Robert don't like to see nobody, like, hurting or, you know, down, right? How many people know this about my man Robert? Okay, so we know this about Robert. He loves to make people laugh and feel good. But I think Robert had a lot of wisdom in that moment in that I wasn't looking for a joke to laugh at. And I wasn't looking for a temporary cliche phrase to hang on to. What I needed in that moment was Jesus. And he started talking to me and he's like, you know, he's like, I feel, and he tells me like, and I've never seen Robert like in this poise, in this stance. And he says, you know, I feel like God just, I feel like I, I see you like someone who's running, like, you know, in a marathon. And he's like, and, and I feel like God is, is trying to teach you and he can't get the word. And he's like, it starts with a P. And I don't know if you remember saying this to me, but you were like, it's perseverance. God is trying to teach you perseverance. And I was like, what? Like, but he's like, thus saith the Lord. And I'm like, maybe that's not what I wanted to hear in this moment. Like I wanted to hear God says it's going to be okay. God says there's a beautiful miracle on the other side of this, but I did need the Holy Spirit to intervene. And he says, he speaks this word of perseverance over me. And I didn't understand that it was the ability to keep moving in the face of adversity and trial. I didn't realize that for the season that was coming up ahead, that I was going to need more perseverance and endurance than I have ever had ever needed in my life before. Let me say this to you. There's a difference between endurance and perseverance. The difference between endurance Versus perseverance is that perseverance will require you to move with the odds stacked against you while endurance is standing firm while the odds are coming at you. Okay? I want you to know that this right here is why you are in the situation that you are currently in. I want you to know that there is a trying and maybe a testing of your faith, but I want you to know that it's not over and the dream has not died, but that you will surely get through this thing. You are surely going to come out on the other side, and you're going to come out stronger than you've ever been because when you're on the mountaintop and when the miracles happen... There's still a battle to face. And when the Israelites spent 40 years in the desert and they came out, God spoke to them and said, you're about to go into this land, but there are some things you're going to have to remember. You're going to have to remember my faithfulness. You're going to have to remember that when things got hard, I never left you without food in your mouth. And I never left your shoes to be torn up on your feet. And I led you by a pillar of fire and a cloud by day. You're going to have to remember the endurance. And you're going to have to remember how you persevered. Because when you get into the promise and when you get into the place of prosperity and even more success than what you've ever realized... There is still a battle 
on the other side of that. Lisa Bevere said something this week that I caught online that blew my mind. She said, in terms of speaking upon the behalf of leaders in the church, she said, I'm sorry that we've made you believe that you could be a hero without a battle. And I'm sorry if any preacher or any leader has ever made you believe that you were going to walk through this walk and not have to go through some things and not be tested in your character and not have the Holy Spirit value the wealth of your integrity. I want to apologize if anyone's ever made you feel like those things were not important to God, like as if that was the last thing and the spotlight was the first thing. Your success is not defined. It's not measured by how many people are following following you on Instagram or on Facebook, how many people are looking at your YouTube page or following your blog. It got nothing to do with that. The measure of success that we weigh our lives according to is the word of God, because that is the thing that will last into eternity. It is not something that is temporal, but it is something that will help us to get through this season. I want to leave you with this last story, and if the worship team could come while I close with this. My aunt plays um, a game called Canasta. Who knows what that is? Because I hadn't had a clue. They may know what Canasta is. Someone could teach me after. <laughs> but my aunt is like a mom to me. And, um, and she, in her older age, has like formed these really great social groups through through these Marajan and Canasta groups. Anyway, she plays Canasta with this woman. And she came to me one day and she said, oh, I'd love for you to read this book. And I said, what is it? And she said, it's a story about um, the husband of one of the women that I play Canasta with. His name is Martin Greenfield. And I was like, okay. And on it, there's a measuring tape. And the title of the book is called The Measure of a Man. And so she begins to tell me he's a Holocaust survivor and um, those of you who know, I've grown, you know, I grew up in Temple, and so I have a great interest and have grown up with great interest um, in stories about the Holocaust. I've met numerous Holocaust survivors, which has been just um, incredible for me to be able to glean from their lives um, and, and, and to see that there is life outside of something that's absolutely horrific and terrible. Um, but she tells me this is the story of his life, and she begins to, you know, sort of cover it for me. And I was like, no, I want to read it myself. And while my husband and I were vacationing in Mexico, I read this entire book. And I want, um, I want to read you just a, a little portion as I close. It says, the first night in Auschwitz, Martin Greenfield was um, in Auschwitz. And for those of you who don't know, that was a concentration camp um, in Poland. And the first night inside Auschwitz, he says, my father said that we must separate because together we would suffer double. But on your own, Martin, you will survive. You are strong, and I know you will survive. If you su survive by yourself, you must do this one thing for me. Honor us by your living, by not feeling sorry for us. This is what you must do. He goes on to say that was the last time he had ever seen his father. He goes through the concentration camp, of course weary, of course believing that life will never change for him. He describes some really traumatic, horrific events that you can only imagine must have happened to him. But he remembers the words of his father. He says, as long as you live, you have to do, uh, do me this one thing and honor me by really living. 
And so this is the one idea that fuels him to get through his time in the concentration camp. And so as many of you know, the Americans came in and they liberated those who were going through this tragedy. Little did he know that his father, even though they were separated at Auschwitz, had lived through the years of the Holocaust and through all the horrific things that happened. He lived through it up until a week before the liberation came. But Martin Greenfield when he was liberated, stood side by side by a man named Eli Weisel. And for those of you who know the story of the Holocaust and know this author, he is just a pronounced um, author and, and, and speaker and survivor of the Holocaust. And he's standing side by side with Eli Weisel. And he's set free from the Holocaust and he makes his way to America. And he remembers what his father said. And he remembers his resiliency when they almost killed him. And he remembers his gifts and he remembers his talents because he ended up becoming, he went on to become America's, what is now, he is affectionately called as America's tailor. He became an apprentice in the tailoring field. He created hand tailor suits for numerous US sitting presidents, Hollywood filmmakers, some of the world's most influential men. In fact, his very first sewing lesson took place while he was in Auschwitz. During one of his concentration camp days, he accidentally ripped the collar of a Nazi soldier. The guard beat him so bad. And before he knew it, a kind older inmate taught him how to fix that Nazi soldier's shirt. When he got liberated, and he got through that situation. He remembered what his father told him. He remembered to honor his father by living, by not feeling bad, by not holding on to the bitterness, by not being weighed down by the, oh my God, I can't believe this happened to me thought. But he lived a life that honored his father. He lived a life of success and he's still alive till this day and plays canasta and, and his wife plays canasta with my aunt. And I'm going to get this book autographed because I wept as I read about his journey because I realized that I'm not the only one that has gone through something. I realize I'm not the only one that has had their character tested. I realize I'm not the only one that grew weary when I thought that a promise would come. I assure you that you will get through this and that on the other side, there will be glory. There will be eternity. There will be purpose. There will be a stronger person than who you are right now, today. So as the worship team sings whatever they're going to sing, I want you no one's going to lay hands on you, but I want you in a step and an act of faith to recommit, to come up to the front and recommit this part of the journey back to God. So that in a declaration of faith, you're saying, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to come out with more endurance, more perseverance, more strength, 
more character, more wisdom, more ability, more understanding, more knowledge, more wisdom, more everything than you could, you could have ever thought. Amen. So why don't we stand to our feet? And I thank you, Lord, right now for every person that is going through a journey that they can't see the other side of. And I thank you that by your spirit, that not by might and not by power, but that by your spirit, you're leading those into a recommitment this morning to believe you, to hold on to you, to live out their lives with integrity. I thank you, Lord, that you're drawing people closer to you than what they've ever been. And we thank you this morning that we're going to get through this in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, the altar is still open if you want to come up. Father, 
before. I want you to encourage you today to know that God's going to pull you through. If you put your trust in Jesus, he's going to pull you through. A thousand of us will basically come and say, oh, I remember God got me through this situation. I remember I went through that. I remember feeling a situation that seemed like it would never change, and we come out of it stronger than before. But sometimes we forget. So allow God to bring to remembrance all the good things he pulled you through. Out of those dark times and hard places, how he brought you out of that situation. He said, like, how, Lord, would it be a relationship? Lord, how do you get me out of this relationship? Lord, how do you get me out of this horrible job? How do you get me out of this poverty situation? How do you get me out of this addiction? You came out of those things. The Lord wants to remind you that something good is on its way. Not only your victory or your, your, the chains being broken or the situation changing, but God wants to use you for something greater that's about to happen. Will you be willing to say, Lord, I'll go through it for your glory? Sometimes we don't want to hear, I don't want to go through stuff. For me, I'd rather just chill and good things happen to me all the time. You know, watch Star Wars and Giants games. That's all like, you know, sometimes you wish life was that easy, but it's not. And we're going to go through some hard times, but it will not destroy us. What the enemy meant for evil, God's going to turn around for his good. And what the enemy meant for Jesus on that mountain for, for the evil, God turned around for good. So I'm going to pray over you and believe, and I want you to believe with me that all things come to an end. And behold, all things are made new. Things are about to be new for you guys. And the old is coming to an end. So Father God, I pray over your church today, Lord God. You see every situation we're in, we see every doubt we have, every fear, every worry, every concern that we seem like, how are you going to do this, Lord? But Lord, we put our trust in you today, Lord God. We sacrifice our own emotions and the feelings and the situation that seem overwhelming, that try to drown us, Lord, with the troubles of this world, Lord, with the troubles of the situation, Lord God. And in that little spark of faith in us, Lord God, we say, Lord, we know we're going to make it through, Lord God. As we put our trust in you and we rely on you, we ask you for strength and we walk through this, Lord, knowing, Lord, we don't, we may not even know how we're going to get out of the situation, but we know that you're going to make a way, Lord, in the darkness, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord God, and we say yes, Lord God, to the miracles, to the blessings that you're about to use us to do, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, and everything we're about to do, Lord, every dream that's going to come to pass, every uh, position of leadership that comes to pass, every uh, um, job promotion, every blessing that you bring, Lord God, is for your glory, Lord God. So as we persevere and as we endure, Lord God, you will receive all the glory for the miracles you're going to do through us and the miracles you're going to do for us. So we praise your name, Lord God. I pray in the name of Jesus that the words that were spoken today, Lord, of your people will not be robbed and taken away as we walk out these doors, Lord God. But it took good ground, Lord God. It was, it was spoken over good ground inside of us, Lord God. And I thank you it would stay there, it would develop, it will grow into the promises that you have for us in the name of Jesus, Lord God. Amen. Amen. Come on, somebody bless the Lord. I want you to leave with this song on your hearts today. This song we sang a couple weeks ago. Just sing. If God is for us, sing. If God is for us, who can be against us? No weapon shall prevail. Your name is mightier enough to save. Just sing. If God is for us, who can be against us? No weapon. Your name 
is mightier enough to save. If God is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? No weapon shall prevail your name. It's mightier enough to save. If God is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? No weapon shall prevail your name. It's mightier enough to say. If God is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? No weapon shall prevail your name. It's mightier enough to say. If God is for us, if God is for us, now say, my God, my God is for us, my God, my God is for us, oh, my God is for us, Yeshua, Jesus, my God is for us, oh, Lord, my God is for us. Just repeat that to yourself when you come against uh, controversy when you come against ad- your adversary, when you come against struggles and strife in your life, just repeat that to yourself that if God is for me, then who can be against me? You are blessed. Continue to be a blessing. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.